It's new, it's Iona, and it's on 1460 WVOX. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. One giant leap for mankind. Every decision I've ever made in my entire life has been wrong. Oh, drat these computers. They're so naughty and so complex. Oh, you can call me Ray, or you can call me Jay. Hello, my name is Mr. Hat. You fellas are untouchable. Is that the thing? No one can get to you? Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Welcome to the Iona College Radio Hour, broadcasting live from New Rochelle. This is an Iona College Radio Hour Thanksgiving special. Mike Demergis back here on the Iona College Radio Hour on WVOX for this holiday special. And we got a couple of bigwigs from Iona College and big in the media industry. We got Marty Daly, 40 plus years at CBS, and the great Ross Greenberg, 30 plus years at HBO. Uh, first, we'll start with you, Ross. Uh, you have a new role, as Marty does, as executive in residence here at Iona. Tell us a little about that. Well, I'm here to try to teach some students some things about the media world and what's happened over the last 40 years of my career and what will happen in the future. And I really enjoy working with the kids. Um, now I can call them kids because I'm 63 years old. <laughs> and, uh, and working with them to make sure they can write, that they can think, that they can create, uh, and they can look to a future where they can get a job in the media world if they want it. So it's been a lot of fun. Well, that's it really about getting a job. I guess that's the ultimate thing. And, and Marty, uh, you just joined us this past fall uh, from CBS. Uh, what's July. Your, July. Yeah. What was your, well, you wanted to start early, so you <laughs> took the classes early, right? Get that fresh start. Uh, what's been your experience so far? It's been terrific. Uh, <clears throat> we, we got to uh, experience the 21st century Iona because our youngest son, attended Iona. He was a 2013 graduate. Um, so we got to see the change from the 1974-1975 Iona that I and my wife graduated from. So it's been <clears throat> an amazing transformation of what was a small commuter school into a much bigger and, and better school. Um, I'm enjoying working with the students. Uh, I'm coming at it from the sales and marketing side um, and hope to be of service in teaching them the nomenclature like every business out there buyers and sellers and network television speak to one another in a language that is peculiar to our business so just letting them know about that I think would give them a big leg up in interviews and like Ross the whole idea here is to help them get jobs. Now you're the sales side and Ross is a production side and, and the two sides in the past really didn't, I don't know, didn't always see eye to eye as it goes, but producers now are having to be sellers. Isn't that right, Ross? No question. I mean, I think the two departments have to work closely together. I've been familiar in the last, I don't know, seven years now that I'm a seller myself because I'm on the street, you know, trying to sell all my product to ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, you know, Showtime and, and Netflix and whoever else pops up. But beyond that, you know, I can't sell to those networks if their sales teams can't sell what I'm trying to sell. So it's an interesting dynamic. And, you know, I've gotten involved with Under Armour as we searched for a football team to follow during the season and 
attach myself to them so that they could pull in Navy for me, even for a showtime that doesn't even have a sales force for advertising because they don't have it on their network. So there are unique ways now to get sponsors what they need on television. Well, let's talk about your career on HBO Sports. You started, of course, a hard knock. How'd you get that inspiration to, to create something that still exists today? A guy named Marty Colner, who was a director at HBO, not in sports, came in with the idea of just doing the uh, preseason how rookies either made or didn't make the team. And uh, I had a discussion immediately with Steve Sable because I knew that without NFL films, there was never going to be a hard knocks. So we discussed it, and we decided collectively that it was important to show every facet of, of preseason. You know, the coaching staff getting their program together, the players on the bubble having the opportunity to miss or make the team. Um, and, of course, the rookies were an interesting story as well. But plus the superstars on each team had tremendous personalities. So... We wove that idea, the initial concept, into what is now Hard Knocks, and it's been quite a success story. It was actually the first reality series uh, for sports in television. Um, people don't realize that, but it was in 2000. You know, my, and a lot of the inspiration for that came off of watching my kids in the mid-90s and late-90s watching these reality shows, and I realized that everyone wanted to be taken behind the scenes, that NFL Films had been taking people behind the scenes to listen to the great Lombardi and whoever for so many years that it was uh, going to be something if we could bring a show like that together and show it every week for an hour. And HBO, of course, sports very popular with Inside the NFL for years. Uh, Marty, uh, of course, with CBS all those years. Uh, were you surprised to see the popularity uh, of sports on, on an HBO as opposed to a traditional network? No, I, I think the production values that HBO brought <clears throat> to anything that they put on the air and, and the fact that they could go places where the networks couldn't go uh, without the encumbrance of an advertiser saying, hey, I'm not really wild about that last scene was always um, a, an advantage that they had. Um, the intersect between sales and sports, sales and news, sales and, and late night and, and prime time is probably one of the biggest game changers in the last 15 years of, of the television networks and many of the cable networks in the sense that integrating a client's product into a program, whether it, it's a comedy program or a news program, needs to have a very, very deft touch. Um, I'm really straining here not to say the word organic, <laughs> mm -hmm. but it really takes um, mm -hmm. the cooperation of the host if it's a late night talk show and his producers her producers um, <coughs> and the executive producers of news programs to figure out how to do that without looking as if the program is selling out looking as if the host is doing what for him or her is an unintended endorsement of the product um, so a whole group grew up um, within network sales departments and marketing departments to handle that. You, you couldn't just do that with your line sales force. You needed to have people who had experience in production and could talk to producers. And that was probably the most challenging work I did with David Letterman, with, with uh, Craig Ferguson, and of course the guy who's doing it 
the most these days. Jimmy Kimmel sort of really started it on ABC because that became his calling card. But uh, James Corden in The Late Late Show really ran with this in a big way. And we had a lot of, big, a lot of success with him because he's a, he's a natural pitch man. You see him in real commercials now. Um, he's very, very likable, and uh, he can sell stuff. You know, when I, when I hear you, you talk about the influence that sales has, I think back to, to Geritol and, and Quiz Show. 50s. Uh, and yeah, the 50s on, on the influence that advertisers had on, on creative content. Uh, that must have been frustrating for you. Uh, I'm sure, I mean, see people at CBS at times to be controlled by you can do this, can't do this uh, to, for creative content. I once I ran sports sales at CBS for three years in the, in the mid '80s, and I once had a very well-known producer say to me, "What's coming next, Marty? The Planters Peanut Nutty Play of the Week?" <laughs> <laughs> and that, that I'm, that's verbatim. That's what yeah. he said to me. Um, and you know, you had an old guard then, and in, he wasn't that old, trying to fight all of this integration stuff. Um, it took a long time. Um, but what you see now is all part of the negotiation. Um, so, yes, at times it was frustrating, but eventually the economics of the business required it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you have a billion dollars on the line a year for NFL football and your CBS or Fox or whoever, I mean, you've got to get the, get the sales force out in droves or you're going to lose the franchise. I mean, you know, the next time the bidding comes around, you, you you have to let the sales team make as much money as they can. And still, a lot of the networks were losing hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Uh, if you listen to a Giants broadcast every time the Giants are in the red zone, which yeah. isn't that often these days, <laughs> oh, by the yeah. way, sponsored by Heinz Ketchup and stuff like yeah. that. So everything seems to be sponsored. But you had more creative freedom. You didn't have the Total. advertisers yeah. on top of you. What kind of restrictions did you have at HBO? None. None. I mean, that was we could do whatever we Marty, wanted. Marty's right. I mean, you know, language was okay. Everything was okay, and that that freed us up. Uh, we just, you know, when I was a producer of boxing, when I first got into the business, I realized there was this in between round sixty seconds, and I could just use my creative brain power to try to, you know, put microphones in corners, get. Uh, simultaneous translation from Spanish to English so we could listen in to trainers that were speaking Spanish, you know, do the replays we needed to do and, and listen into some pretty tough language um, and not care and go into the locker rooms before, you know, we didn't have to worry about sponsors or the time that commercials were taking. And uh, it, it was interesting you know, it also gave us the opportunity to tell stories and keep the flow going. You know, in a documentary, it's very difficult to every 10 minutes go to a four-minute break and keep the audience attached. You know, you, you really want them for the full hour or hour and a half totally into the film. But, um, but I had to adapt. You know, when I left HBO in 2011, all of a sudden I'm doing a documentary called Still Standing on the Earl Campbell story on NBC Sports Network, and I had to adapt and uh, and realize that you had to have a little bit of a cliffhanger as you let into commercials, so when you came back out, you know, you were ready to f have a fresh start in the docu and make little five, 
five segment documentaries. And we're talking with Marty Daly uh, and, and Ross Greenberg, two executives in residence here at Iona College. Uh, Marty, 40 years at CBS. Ross Greenberg, over 30 years at HBO. Uh, talk about how, Marty, on, on cable you could do the documentary. You don't see as much as that on, on, on the traditional networks. You don't see as much of that on broadcast network news. Right. But CBS has CBSN now, so that's their over-the-top news service. It's their <coughs> version of a, a tune-in at any time. You can see what is in the news, what ran on CBS this morning earlier that day, what ran perhaps on the CBS Evening News the night before, what ran on 60 Minutes and, <coughs> and 48 Hours. So that service provides the producers of CBS News with more time to do more in-depth stories and, of course, they're in the CBS Broadcast Center live queuing those stories up. Now, when you put it up on your computer screen, you on your left-hand side of your computer screen, you can pop into any story you want, and in the center of your screen, you can just stay with the live feed. So that is one of the ways a CBS News who doesn't have access to the amount of time that a CNN, Fox, or MSNBC do um, to do more long-form stories. And of course, 60 Minutes does 60 Minutes Overtime. Um, and you can go on 60 Minutes Overtime and get a 7, 9, 12-minute clip of a behind-the-scenes of how that story was produced. Ross, you uh, produced the executive producer of 61, uh, of course, the Roger Maris mm -hmm. story of 1961 when he hit 61 home runs. Uh, was there any hesitancy on your part to go with something with baseball because it was kind of on its decline? Or at the time, there was a little bit of a rise in baseball because of the home run chase with McGuire and Sosa? Yeah, that story was so rich. Uh, you know, Mantle and Maris, I had wanted to do something with Mantle for about six years and even had him in the office and wanted to do his life story. You had Mickey Mantle in the office. Yeah. All right, you got to tell for us. For the day. You, all right, you got, you got to give us well, some what, what was What was Mickey Mantle like? Well... Charming. He had he had gotten off his addiction, mm -hmm. and he was, you know, totally lucid, totally hysterical, telling incredible stories. It was him and his longtime live-in partner, woman. I forgot her name, but she was lovely. And I went to visit the CEO, Michael Fuchs, at the time, and I said, "Look, you know, Mickey's here. He was a complete Mickey Mantle nut." Michael Fuchs and and I figured well this is the time we're going to get Mickey's rights and we'll do the film you know Mickey Mantle story and <laughs> as it turned out Mickey's team wanted a million dollars um, for his rights and I kind of got it down to 500,000 and HBO just wouldn't wouldn't pull it and uh, five years later this treatment for 61 is on my desk and I had called Billy Crystal by the way in in 95 about doing something on Mickey and he said I'm in he was ready Ma Mickey lo I mean, Crystal oh, loved Mickey beyond love. Bill Billy would would say I you know I was 13 year old yeah. at my bar mitzvah yeah. and I walked with a limp and a, and a southern yeah. drawl <laughs> and so. fact, when we were writing the script for 61 we'd be in a room with Hank Steinberg who's the guy that not only wrote the treatment but ended up writing the script he was about 27 and the three of us would sit there, and Billy would be Mickey Mantle doing the dialogue, and Hank would be sitting there scribbling it down every word, you know, as if it was Mickey. And it ended up in the script 
all the way through all of Mickey's all of Billy's shenanigans in those hotel rooms but the point I'm making is at that time we knew that the story overrode you know the fact that baseball was going through some difficulties and as it turned out as we're writing the script it's 1998 McGuire Sosa is happening the family of Roger Maris is in the stands in St. Louis you know watching him beat Maris's record even though it was illegitimate you know at the time we were writing the script and we didn't know about you know steroids and all that going on at the time although everyone was a little bit wary of it so we ended up putting it in the in the beginning and end of the film if you remember Mm -hmm. no I I do Um, remember so so baseball was actually on that huge comeback as we were writing and producing and then putting 61 on the air. Talk about the casting for that. I mean, the guys that played Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris, I mean, it two looks good stories. Spot on. I mean, well, the first story I'll tell you is that uh, Billy called me up one day. I was just, you know, we were really desperate. We had a list of about 20 Mickey Mantles and 20 Roger Maris's. And I'm talking big names who we met with, you know, like Matthew McConaughey and Matt Damon. I know you're not supposed to do this, but I am anyway. Um, we even had Matt Damon paired with, uh, what's his name? You know, his writing partner. What's his name? Oh, uh, ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. We even had the two of them thinking you mean Roger ba- you Maris. You mean Batman? Yeah, <laughs> Roger Maris, Mickey Mantle. But, but I get a call one day, and I hear, I just saw him. I said, saw who? You know, I knew it was Billy. He goes, I got him, Mickey. His name's Thomas Jane. I just watched a film called Deep Blue Sea or Deep, I don't remember the name of it. And I said, it's him. He, he's Mickey. And I said, great. That's great. And so then about a week later, I went to see Saving Private Ryan. I called Billy and I said, I got him. He goes, you got who? I said, I got Roger. Because I had just seen Barry Pepper as the steely marksman in Saving Private Ryan. And I said, he, he looks exactly like him. And he'll be incredible. And bang, that's how that kind of stuff happens. Boy, that, that, that's a home run. That's <laughs> you, a home run right there. You have to let me tell my Mickey Mantle okay, story. Okay, well, yeah, there you go. go of course. As, as a guy who grew up one mile north of Yankee Stadium and was a vendor wow. at Yankee Games in high school. Uh, how old were you in a vendor at, <laughs> at Yankee Games? From the age of 14 till 17. 14 to 17. <laughs> Mostly Giant Games in those days. Okay. <laughs> oh, you saw, weren't much well, to look well, at. you saw Sam Huff play. Oh, yes. oh Giant, no, New York Giants. Giants. I yeah. did, Mickey Mantle was working for Manufacturers Hanover Trust as a, a spokesperson, Spoker. and uh, the Westchester Golf Tournament was on, and I was in my sports sales job, and I was at the tournament, and the client came up to me, and I had my back turned to Mickey Mantle and said, Marty, I want you to meet someone. And I turned around, and it was Mickey Mantle, and my knees literally gave way. <laughs> <laughs> and as, as Russ just said, he was utterly charming and talked about how Phil Rizzuto never stopped talking. <laughs> and unfortunately, this is, again, the mid-'80s, so mm-hmm. cell phones and cameras. Right. No, I mean, I'm dying that I never got a picture with him, but it was a great moment with oh. one of my childhood idols. You know, Mickey, <laughs> Mickey wasn't a big guy. He was, what, about 5'10"? No. Yeah, uh, but you know, thick. Thick. Yeah. thick. Really thick. And my, my father said, boy, he could run down the line. There, oh. there wasn't anybody faster in baseball. Huge uh, legs. You know, even with his knee as bad as it was, he was yeah. still, it was still a demon. Yeah, he was so, uh, Mike Demerges uh, talking with executives and residents here at Iona College, Marty Daly and Ross Greenberg. We have more with them coming up right after this break. Wishing your family a happy Thanksgiving from Iona College. What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. <laughs> 
Explore Iona College and discover premier academic programs taught by gifted and engaging faculty, hands-on learning opportunities, and access to internships in nearby New York City. It's all offered in a diverse, welcoming community with over 80 student clubs, Division I sports, and a culture of service to others. Move the world at Iona College. Learn more at iona.edu.